Morning, church. In-person church. Welcome to you, live streaming church. We know you're, I see you out there. Glad to have you with us today. Hey, did y'all miss me last Sunday? I wasn't here. Did you remember that? I wasn't here. Scott preached uh, in my place. He did a great job. Preached on fasting. So when I was laying out, I laid out my sermons for a whole year. You know, just the topics and the scriptures and all. And I saw the one on fasting. I said, who's going to do that? Because I don't know anything about it. I mean, I'm just disobedience and whatever. I haven't done a lot of experience with fasting. Scott said, well, I've done the 36 famine, hour famine or whatever. You are the man. You're preaching on fasting when we come to fasting. He did good. You know, he was hurting last Sunday. He wouldn't have said that, but he was hurting. He's got the acid reflex, a lot of burning. He didn't sleep well. He was tired. He was worn out. You would have never known because he didn't get up here and go for the sympathy vote. Oh, y'all pray for me. I've really been hurting. You know, that's going for the sympathy vote, but a professional doesn't do that. And he just played hurt. Appreciate that about Scott and him preaching on fasting. When I grew up, when I was a kid, when you didn't have to wear a helmet for every little activity that might you know, have bumping into somebody. We got to play fun games on the playground that really mattered like Red Rover. Anybody play Red Rover? So you got a line of kids over here. You got your arms locked up and you got the other line of kids on that side and their arms are locked up. And somebody's name is called out. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Stevie right over. And there you go. And you got to bust through. You got to look for the weak link and break through the arms without getting captured. And there are two kinds of people in this world. There are people who love to hear their name called for Red Rover. Oh yeah, I'm the guy. Here I go. Boom, boom, boom. And there are people who hate to have their name called for Red Rover. Oh, please don't call my name. Please don't call my name. Now this, like so many things in life, is a metaphor for the kingdom of God. It's a metaphor. We're going to use it as a metaphor anyhow. Because there's two kinds of people in the spiritual world. Now, here we are, we've been studying in the Sermon on the Mount for weeks and weeks. I love the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of dragging it out a little bit because I hate to leave the Sermon on the Mount. It's so rich and feeds our spirits. But we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is teaching us how to be a kingdom man and a kingdom woman. we got one foot in the kingdom of God, and we, but we're also living here in the kingdom of men. And that creates some tension. So Jesus is teaching about that. You've got the Beatitudes. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. On and on and on. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you get through the Beatitudes, you get through that little portion right there, and then he says, you are to be salt, the salt of the earth, salt of the earth, but the salt loses its saltiness, what's it good for? You throw it out, trample underfoot, it's not good for anything, and you're to be the light of the world. Salt and light. We've got to get out there. We've got to get out there with the truth, the salt, the light. Let our influence be felt. There's two kinds of people. There's people that, that love that call. Hey, I'm salt and light. I've got the truth. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Stevie right over. Boom, boom, boom. Here I come. And then there's those who hate to hear that call. I want to be secret salt. Can I just be secret salt? Can I be secret light? Silent salt. 
right? Silent light. I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to keep my mouth closed. Hopefully somebody will notice me in my example. Hey, I've been watching you. You're so quiet. And you, you must be, can you tell me how to be saved? You know, hopefully that's what will happen. So you got those two extremes. Which one do you think Jesus would prefer? Well, maybe neither one. Maybe Jesus might say, there's a third way to have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of men and influence other people. A third way. Which brings me to our passage for today. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. We're going to obey everything. We're looking at the commands of Jesus. Here we go. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be open. This is all about prayer, right? It's all about prayer. Ask, seek, knock. We get whatever we pray for. Well, it is about prayer. There's an application of this passage for prayer. We'll be looking at that next Sunday. It's worthy of its own message. Very very important. You don't want to miss next Sunday. That's not the application we're making about this today. There's another way of looking at this. The main point here is this. We want to live with thoughtful interaction with people in the world. We're in a broken world. There are people who hurt us. There are people who sin against us. Sometimes we hurt other people and sin against other people. We want to live with thoughtful interaction with people in the world. That's the main takeaway today. You say, Steve, that, I mean, that's kind of complicated. What do you mean here? So, we, we looked at that verse, ask, seek, knock. The verse right before that, Matthew 7, 6, is the one where Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, what is that all about? And what does that have to do with ask, seek, knock? This is the verse right before ask, seek, knock. Not. I mean, we want to look at the context. Well, a pearl is of great valuable value. It's beautiful. But what is a pig going to do with a pearl? Nothing. A pig can't do anything with a pearl. And sometimes, when we've got the salt, we've got the light, we've got the truth, we may have all of that, but if we try to red rover people with it, they might not be ready to hear it. Might not be ready to hear it, Right? Just because we have the truth and we're speaking the truth and we're saying the truth doesn't mean that whoever we're interacting with, I'm talking about interpersonal relationships, they may not be ready to hear it. Have that ever happened to you? Have you ever been in a place in your life where somebody came to you with truth, but you weren't ready, you know, I wasn't ready to hear it. You weren't ready to hear it. Now maybe a year goes by and God's working in your life. Maybe we come under a little bit of discipline and we experience some things that soften up our hearts. So a year later, somebody comes to us, same truth. Only this time, we're receptive to it. And we receive it. And some difference happens. So maybe Jesus is saying right here, look, you, you may have the truth. You may have this pearl of wisdom, this nugget of truth. But exercise a little bit of discernment with the people that we're talking to about whether they are ready to hear that or not. You ever... Uh, <laughs> You ever had a friend or a relative who had been smoking for a number of years and then they quit smoking? They quit smoking. God bless them. And then they became a smoke Nazi. Right? So everybody else who's still smoking, 
You know, they can, oh, you got to quit smoking. That's going to kill you. you know, they slap the cigarette out of their, out of their hand. <laughs> and they say, what are you doing? You say, you got to quit smoking. That's going to kill you. Well, haven't you been smoking for 30 years? Well, yeah, but I gave it up last week, and now you got to quit smoking too. Or somebody who gives up sugar. Uh, hey, you're drinking that soda. You should not be drinking your calories and that soda. You know, it's, it's poison. The sugar's poison. you got to give up soda. That's when I, I tend to be a sugar Nazi. I get after people for their soda. Of course, I'll eat a whole key lime pie by myself. <laughs> you should not be drinking soda. You know, or the vegans and the vegetarians. Oh, I'm a vegan. I don't eat meat. You shouldn't eat meat. It's cholesterol. You know, so not everybody's like that. There's some nice vegans and vegetarians and non-smokers and all that. But have you ever had that experience where they're just a Nazi about those things? And so, and sometimes people can become a Christian and like, well, I'm a Christian now. Boom, boom. Here, give, give me that Bible. And Red Rover people. This whole passage here in Matthew chapter seven is a pericope. All right, that's right, a pericope. Now here's where I sound college educated, and we all learn a new word, pericope. By the way, don't make the mistake of mispronouncing this. It's not pericope. If you had just read that word and never heard it pronounced before, you might think it was pericope. You want to make that mistake. I made that mistake an hour ago. Unfortunately, somebody corrected me in between services, and now I know the correct pronunciation. It's a pericope. A pericope is a section, usually, of Scripture. It's a section of Scripture with a, a continuous thought thread that unites it together. So here in Matthew chapter 7, we start off with, don't judge. The same measure you use to judge other people, you will be judged. So don't judge other people. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. We've had a message on this. And of course, Jesus is not talking there about making discernments. We have to be discerning. We have to discern what's right, wrong, good, bad, false, true, moral, immoral. We make those discernments. You can't read the Sermon on the Mount without making all kinds of discerning judgments. So remember we talked about this and we said, when Jesus says don't judge, it's really a whole lot more about the attitude with which we come at people. Somebody may do something wrong, but that doesn't mean they are wrong. No, you're wrong. You're broken. You're bad. You're irredeemable. You disgust me. Not you, but I happen to be looking at you right. You disgust me. You know, holding other people in contempt. We're not allowed to do that. We can't hold other people in contempt. So he says, all right, don't judge people. Don't hold them in contempt. Don't cast your pearls before the swine. You know, don't red rover people maybe before they're ready to hear the truth. Now, there may be a time where truth is appropriate. You've got you to shout it out there maybe sometime. But as a rule... Be discerning how we interact with people. Then he says, ask, seek, knock. The application I want to make about this today is how we interact with people with the salt, the light, and the truth of God's Word. And there's kind of a progression here with the ask and the seek and the knock. Let's dissect it a little bit. Uh, when somebody's right in front of you, ask. Ask a question. Dallas Willard says, quote, asking is the great law of the spiritual world through which things are accomplished in cooperation with God and yet in harmony with the freedom and the worth of every individual. Isn't that true? When we ask a question instead of red rover somebody, we're still working with God, 
but we're respecting them as individuals and their worth and their value and their free will. We're not trying to hammer them. We're just asking a question. It's not like a debate. We're going to see a debate later this week, and it's going to be rough. When the debate, you draw a line, and here I come with my facts, and you're on the other side, and here you come with your facts, and there's a lot of, a lot of this, a lot of this. But with a question, you kind of step across that line. You're not standing face to face. You're more like shoulder to shoulder. And, and with apologies to social distancing, maybe even put an arm around their shoulder, and we ask a question, and it's a cooperative pursuit of what's true. John Maxwell, leadership guru, said good questions inform, but great questions transform. Great questions transform. You know who's good at asking questions is children. I read a study just recently said the average four-year-old in a single day will ask, the average four-year-old in a single day will ask, you know how many questions you might want to guess? Yes, 300 questions. The average four-year-old in one day. I had to read that twice just to make sure it wasn't before lunch. The average, I deal with four-year-olds. I mean, we're helping to raise our grandkids. But they know the power of questions. You know who else knew the power of questions? Jesus knew the power. If you were to do a study of Jesus' life, look at the four Gospels and count the number of times Jesus asked questions, we would find that he asked over 300 questions in his ministry. This was part of his ministry style. Let me give you some examples. For instance, to the disciples, he asked, why are you so afraid? To Peter, who do you say that I am? Again, to the disciples, do you believe? To James and John. What do you want me to do for you? To the rich man, why do you call me good? To John's disciples, what are you looking for? To the Samaritan woman, will you give me a drink? To the woman caught in the act of adultery, who condemns you? To the paralytic, do you want to get well? How many of these questions did Jesus already know the answer to? Yeah, that would be all of them. So why ask? Why does Jesus spend so much of his time asking questions to which he already knew the answer? Why did Jesus so often answer a question that was posed to him with a question back at the person? In Bible college, they taught us in public speaking, they said, you need to be clear. Have one thought, tell them what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. And when they walk out, everybody should know, here's what I was told, and here's the next action step which is fine, that's generally what I try to do, but when you look at the ministry style of Jesus, if you're familiar with, with the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, isn't it true that so often people walked away from Jesus kind of shaking their heads saying, what was that all about? What am I supposed to do with that? I'm not even sure I understand what he was talking about. I've got to think about that. Why is that? Because Jesus knew that truth imposed is not always truth received. The old saying is, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Eric Nevins hosts a podcast called Halfway There. On Facebook, he posted this question to his listening audience. The question was, what's the best question you've ever been asked? I read that and I thought, you know, that might be the best question I've ever been asked. But some of his listeners responded 
Uh, for instance, the best question I've ever been asked is, who are you? Another person said, the best question they'd ever been asked, if you could live without fear, what would you do? Another person said the best question was, where's the beef? Now, I don't know what you do with that one, but that's what they said. What if we got a lot better at asking questions of people? You know, we just ask questions of people. Hey, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, what are your reasons for that? How would your, how's your life going to turn out if you follow that course? How would society at large be if, if everybody did that? If we just asked, we got better at asking people questions. What if we got better at asking ourselves questions? Am I the kind of person that, that people would find it easy to talk to? If someone was struggling with doubt and seeking the truth, would they view me as a person that they could come alongside and we could take that journey together and ask questions and seek the truth? Would they be willing to confide in me? Do I come across? Is that my posture toward people? Ask the person in front of us a question. Sometimes that's the more appropriate way. Ask, seek. Right? Seek is the next one. Seek and you will find. And somebody's just beyond reach sometimes. If they're just beyond reach, we seek them out. We don't, leave, we don't leave them out there. We seek them out. There is power in presence. And sometimes we have to show up before we speak up. Right? And make sure that people know we're there and that we care. Remember Job. He came under all that hardship and all that suffering and his three friends came to visit him and the first thing that they did was they sat down with him in silence for three days. They just sat there and were present with him. There was power simply in their presence. We ought to remember to be present with people. In Jesus' day, you know, there was a gap between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was very difficult to bridge that gap between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was kind of an ethnic and religious gap. Well, today we've got all kinds of divides that separate people. We have political divides. We have coronavirus, of course. It's separated people more than ever before. We've got technology. In some ways, technology is good. Live streamers is good. And otherwise, other ways it can get in the way. You ever heard the uh, expression fubbing? Fubbing, P-H-U-B-B-I-N-G, fubbing, is a combination of the word phone and snubbing. That's what happens when you're talking with somebody, and we're talking, and say, hey, you know, and we're talking, oh, wait just a second. I got to answer this text. Hang on. That's, you've been fubbed. You've been snubbed by somebody because of, technology. Everybody in here has experienced that. And a lot of us have probably done that as well. You know, the text will wait, won't it? The phone call will go to voicemail, won't it? It's just going to be there. When we're with the person, we, sometimes we have to intentionally be present in that moment and be present with that person. Uh, the psychologists tell us that when the newborns, the newborn babies are born, it's important for the parents to get in there and to be present, the presence to be felt, for touch, and when the baby's able to see, you know, so they can look and make eye contact. Because just in that presence and that eye contact, there's something called attunement. Attunement that's taking place between the child and the parent. There's, con there's a connection and a f there's a psychological and a emotional feeding that's being taking place just by presence itself. That doesn't go away. Our presence communicates love to other person. Again, what are we trying to do? We're trying to 
live in a discerning way with the people and share the salt and the light in a wise and a discerning manner. This is simply treating people the way God has treated us. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He seeks us. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Genesis 3.9, going all the way back to the very first human couple, Adam and Eve in the garden. And they've sinned and they're hiding from God. And God says, oh, he doesn't say, oh, if that's the way you want to be, okay, I'm going to go over here. In Genesis 3.9, God called to the man, where are you? Well, this is what we're doing. So we're emulating God. And that's, that's good news. That's good for us to do. We ask, we seek. And then we knock. And knock may be the most extreme circumstances when there's estrangement that has taken place in a separation. I mean, come on. We live in a broken world and we are all broken. And in the real world and in real families, sometimes this is where, you know, this is where the estrangement takes place in our families or in our churches sometimes our neighborhoods and our communities, you know what you have to do? We have to go in and we have to knock on the door and ask to be invited back in. The easiest thing in the world would be to say, hey, if that's the way you feel, fine. But see, God doesn't do that. He didn't leave us alone. He doesn't say, if that's the way you feel, fine. He continues to ask, seek, knock on the door and ask to be let back in. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus, this is the way he operates. Now in Jesus' day, in Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was occupied by the Roman forces, the law was if a Roman soldier came to your door and knocked on the door, you had to let him in. You you had no choice on the matter. He could break the door down. He's going to come in. He's going to stay as long as he wants to. Jesus said, we're in a different kind of a kingdom. We're not going to red rover our way in. I mean, sometimes the person who's been estranged may let us back in, sometimes they may not. But all we can do is really ask and seek and knock and ask for the invitation. Sometimes they may be in a position where they're they're ready and willing to receive that. Sometimes not. That may happen later on. As God goes to work, works in people's circumstances and hearts, maybe a year later or sometime later, ask, seek, and knock. And then... The door is open. The point here is not to give up. Not to give up on that person. Don't judge them. Don't throw pearls before swine. Don't red rover them, but ask, seek, and knock. Value others as people with worth. We don't give up on them, but we leave them their free will. Soren Kierkegaard wrote, All the power in the world cannot unlock the door to the human heart It must be opened from the inside. This is the difference between lobbing a truth grenade at someone and standing in the middle ground and operating out of love. In this pericope, you know what's at the end, is the golden rule. We treat other people the way we want to be treated. We don't want people to red rover us. We like them to respect us, to love us, and ask. And it's amazing, it's amazing when we do that. Not always, but how often someone will open the door of their heart and a relationship can be reestablished. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, there's not a person in here who doesn't live in some kind of a broken uh, relationship, doesn't have a challenging relationship like this. It's many of us. It's in our very families. 
It might be where we work. It might be at school. It might be in a neighborhood. It might be even being a church family. We pray, Father, we can be like You. You have pursued us. You continue to seek us and to knock on the door of our hearts. May we have that kind of love and that kind of persistence to ask, seek, and knock in our interactions with other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.